Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld and we are doing Robservations, another Robservations. We are here to talk comics and pop culture and movies and streaming and all this crazy stuff that really started with my obsession with pulling comic books off spinner racks many decades ago. Uh, that We have been walking through comic kind of as, as, as close as we can with, with a very, very few um, detours off the path. Uh, we, we, uh, I've been trying to, you know, stick, stick with the timeline and, 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 and kind of uh, unfold things as they go. And it, it is definitely weird to talk about comic books at the point where you are working in comics as I have been um, many of the last episodes. I, I, I to be honest, I'd much rather, sit and, and lather up over uh, uh, Frank Miller or John Byrne or Walt Simonson or Jim Starlin. Uh, that is ridiculously, you know, uh, resonant with me. That's where my passions lie. But, uh, you know, the 90s came along and me and my peers, uh, we, we, we became the story. We became the guys whose books were the ones that were selling. And so we've discussed it. As, as in, in, in as free form a style as we possibly can tonight. We're going to kind of look back over where we've been these last six or seven episodes as, as, as the 1989 turned to 1990 and, and, and through 92 and image is now launching and publishing comics. But uh, I am not going to do this alone. I have brought with me a co-pilot, an able co-pilot. Um, he is Iceman to my Maverick. Okay. This is Jimmy J. Mr. Amazing Comic Con, Mr. Retailer Supreme. Uh, welcome, Jimmy. How are you doing? I'm doing great, especially since you uh, compare me to Bell Kilmer and Iceman. So, so we're off to a great start tonight. This is great. <laughs> hey, we're both in the program, man. We're both. I, look, I, you're going to hear me do a lot of pilot stuff tonight. I've been uh, watching uh, the right stuff on Disney Plus because. Uh, I love the right stuff, and I wouldn't let my wife, I wouldn't let Joy watch uh, the Disney Plus show uh, until she watched the original Philip Kaufman uh, three-hour mega awesome. I mean, there's there's very few, like in my opinion, perfect movies, and uh, so so I had I had Joy watch the right stuff, which you guys, if you've never heard of it, or you're watching the Disney Plus without the context of the original movie based on the Tom Wolf bestseller it's got ed harris it's got jeff goldblum it's got dennis quaid it's got scott glenn it is a masterpiece and 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 i will be referring to it a lot tonight because there were seven mercury astronauts just like there were seven image founders and i am blown away at the uh, at, at so many of the parallels and the comparisons um especially you know with with uh guys like chuck yeager Mr. Mr. Sound Barrier, Mr. Mach 2 plus uh, uh, Chuck Yeager. If you don't know who he is, come on. You need to go find out about your, your history and your, your aeronauts, your astronauts, your pilots. But the thing is, uh, he said like that they were they existed to push the envelope. And, and I think we as as creators, that's what we want to do. We want to push the envelope as artists. So, yeah, well, you're going to hear me drop pilot stuff. And, and, and I have my new fascination. I always compared Image Comics to a band. And now uh, it's, it's the seven Mercury astronauts. So chew on that for a while, Jimmy. How, how, how's that sound? Hey, that sounds great. 
That sounds great. Uh, you know, and I'm and I'm still trying to think that that's probably a better analogy than thinking of you guys without your shirts playing volleyball. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. No, 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 no. Uh, even though when it's funny, Joy was watching the right stuff, and she's like, and then Top Gun decided just to take the pilot stuff out of this movie and make it make make make, make them just just make a pilot movie. And I'm like, with volleyball, you know, with volleyball, because because. You know, Top Gun without the volleyball. I mean, even the new trailer. I, I, I so so listeners should know that. And I tweeted this out the other day. Like if like, and I feel terrible, but I'm always so heart. I'm always like, it warms my heart that J.J. Abrams will show Star Wars to someone who is terminal, so that they get to see you know Star Wars um, months in advance. Obviously, they keep it them themselves. I don't know if those are totally private screenings, but it always warms my heart. And so sometimes that my mind wanders to my own deathbed and I'm like, dear Tom Cruise, please show me Maverick. If I am to pass in the next few months, I just want it out there that I would like to see Maverick. And, and, and so I, I on YouTube, I watch those Maverick clips again from the, from the, the, the trailers to the new Top Gun sequel. And of course they're playing volleyball and they're all oiled up just like it's 1986 all over again. So well, I'm not I'm not gonna lie, that was the Comic Con moment for for me is is uh you know hearing that Tom Cruise was on the floor of Comic Con. But I guess that means we could get back to comics though. Hey, comics, comics and pilots and and, and, and it, they're 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 both equally exciting, very exciting. And and I do believe that Image Comics pushed it past, you know, the sound barrier, Mach 1.5, Mach 2, Mach 2.5, and occasionally we went up a little too, too trying to find Mach three. We 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 went into free fall. Okay, I, I got all my analogies tonight. Look, so Jimmy, here's the deal: the '90s was definitely a sea change for comics, and and like I said, I've I really really tried to boldly just address everything as it happened. And there is a lot to come that we haven't covered yet. Um, as we push '92 into '93, things really drastically uh, change for the comics industry, but. I was trying to sum up to myself, as uh, as was so many of all of you listening, and I know Jimmy can definitely relate to this too. I find myself wandering through my garage, the the collection of comics that I have uh, purposely outfitted there, so that I can retreat and 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 thumb through them. Sometimes for distracting distractions, sometimes for inspiration, reference. But um, you know, when when I when I'm flipping through the comics and I get to the '90s stuff. And, and the way I view it is I just think comics are – when I think of the 90s, the one word I have is fun. I just think of fun, tremendous fun, amazing fun, but above all things, fun. What are 90s comics? What is that age, especially early 90s? Because I'm, I'm an early 90s guy. What, 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 is, what are the 90s? What, what is, what, what, how would you describe your relationship with that era? Oh, it, it's completely action-packed. I mean, and that is action and action and adventure above everything else. Everything has a cool factor. Uh, in one of your your uh, podcasts, you mentioned that you listen that you would turn on MTV from you know from morning you know morning, noon, and night. And and I knew that from from watching and hanging out with you um, you know later in the decade and. Mm-hmm. And uh, having TRL on and, you know, making sure that, you know, that that was always on um, other than our, our soap operas, of course. Of course. But uh, but with uh, with MTV, there is 
I think that there is that analogy really is true. I mean, it is, it is, it's fun. It's visual. It's uh, it's very you know momentary. It feels very much like uh, like it's pop music. It's pop candy. It's um, you know, it, it, you're you're consuming it just for you know just for the moment, and there's nothing wrong with that. I love you know I love a you know a piece of candy. I love my my dessert, and that's what it felt like. Um, all the, that, that in the best case scenario, that's what it always felt like. Was like man is a you know a double scoop of peanut butter you know chocolate or maybe baseball nut at at Baskin's Robbins. That's how it felt uh, for me um, as a fan. You know, and, and 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 so along those lines, like with Todd and and Spider Man. Uh, so I grabbed my omnibus and and I wanted to re reacquaint myself. And again, I really think that Todd looked at the page and said, "How do I make this more fun?" And uh, you know, look, uh, th this is really so so early in my uh, artistic and, and my, my my collecting and my artistic kind of breakthrough getting into comics. They, kind of coincided that there were these Japanese markets that were um, popping up in, in South Orange County. And a uh, matter of fact, skipping ahead years later, I would start taking um, the guys from my studio on sojourns and they would start cleaning out the place and not even leaving any for me. And, 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 you know, I'd, I'd go back on a weekend by myself and they were cleaning out the, the, uh, the markets. And, and, and one of my buddies, one of the guys that worked there, uh, who, who th th there was so that so there's a Japanese bookstore with some art supplies and Jimmy and there's one down near South Coast Plaza in 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 Costa Mesa in, in Orange County here and uh, and 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 it's married to a Japanese market okay and and it's the first time around this time that I also became acquainted with the uh, Japanese vending machines and their soda pops and. And, and, and their candy. And I was like, wow, look at this. Like you, you get a, you get a, a and for those of you, those of you who don't know, you, you, you get a soda pop, um, you know, like a Sprite, their version of a Sprite, uh, out, out of the machine. But there's a, there's a ball of candy at the bottom of it that, that, that'll float to the top when you're done. And you, and you know, with their, uh, with their candy, there's all sorts of mixtures of, 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 you know, pretzel sticks that you dip in chocolate syrup, chocolate sauce. And, and, and the point I'm trying to make is the guy who I was with, I had a buddy named John Trin. He was uh, uh, a guy who, who, who lived nearby and we were both in a uh, fan club, um, uh, Teen Titans fan club. And, and, and as a matter of fact, a slight aside, and don't let me get too lost here, Jimmy, a slight aside is in that Teen Titans Fan club. They called them APAs for our listeners. That meant Amateur Press Association. Uh, if there was a hundred members and you wanted to contribute, you had to make a hundred Xeroxes of your drawing and send them into the central mailer. And sometimes the central mailer was the same for a year or for a month, or you switched off. But ultimately, then they would compile a hundred issues. You'd pay for the shipping and the dues, and they'd ship them to you. But John and I were both part of this Teen Titans. APA early on, like around issue three or four, right when it was starting, it was called Titan Talk. And that's where I started my column called Observations. Because some people are like, hey, how long have you been doing this Observations thing? So I started Observations in my amateur press days. 
And then I wrote a observation article for a wizard magazine called Entertainment Retailing throughout the 90s. And then I did observations um, in the back of my comic books. And now today here we have a observations podcast. So that that is something I, I've been meaning to bring up for weeks and weeks and weeks. But John Trin, and he would take me to these Japanese markets, T-R-I-N-H, John Trin. And I said, what's with this soda and this candy? And he said, Rob, because in Japan, everything is fun. It's fun. Your candy is fun. Your soda is fun. It's so fun. And I was like, crap, he's not kidding. I mean, you don't know what it's like to, to pop that, that lid off that, off that soda and, 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 the, and, the, and the sugary ball comes up to the top, but you can't get it until you consume the soda. Dude, they're wizards. They are wizards of fun in Japan. And Jimmy, they made candy fun. And they made soda fun. And I feel like Todd looked at his Spider-Man pages and goes, well, I could draw Mysterio like small or I could draw him fun. And I could draw Spider-Man small or I could draw him fun. So, and then I got my new mutants, Cable Epic. Is that what they're called? Epic Collections? Um, yeah, Marvel? Epic Collection. Yeah. Just, and I'm telling you, dude, it's so, look, I'm very happy they continue to reprint this material over the long haul. I mean, I think in the last eight years, Marvel has reprinted this material four to five times. Hardcovers, softcovers, omnibuses. But the new Epic, uh, I, I think it's like 40 bucks too. It's not cheap. It's thick. It's got like almost all of my New Mutant stuff. Uh, some annuals, uh, the, 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 an event that they did. But I'm, I'm flipping through it. And Jimmy, again, I'm looking at my layouts. I'm looking how I approach the page. And it's like, but is it fun? And and to this day, whether I'm drawing like you know X Force or or Deadpool or Snake Eyes, I go. But is it but is it fun? And I'm I'm thinking back to that first encounter with the Japanese vending machine. And so I really feel like once you know you had Todd and myself, and I I even think Eric came on and followed Todd and said, but is it more fun? I can make it more fun because people sleep on that Larson. Spider-Man stuff, and I swear to you, if you crack it, it is even bolder um, and and more dynamic than what Todd was doing. If that's even possible, you know, you know it's it's interesting because I um, I didn't I, I read it occasionally. I picked it up occasionally, um, but I wasn't you know I wasn't a diehard Battery Chucker uh, fan um, of Eric Larson's. Picked it and I picked it up recently, and to me it seemed like it was the Todd McFarlane stuff, which I dug, man, and I still dig. But it's like it's like that that uh, that line in Spinal Tap. Does this go to eleven? And that's what it really seemed like. It, it seemed like like the uh, like the the speaker went to instead of going from one through ten, the settings it went to eleven, yeah. and it seemed like. And it, and it to me it seemed like that all you guys you you know you're the the seven you know the seven image guys seems like you guys were pushing each other and always finding what the new number eleven was to you know crank up your amp you know when you're you know when you're, when you're rocking it out. I think I mentioned this once before, but Eric and I, uh, Amazing Spider-Man and New Mutants. Uh, so he first takes over for Todd on Amazing when Todd leaves for the regular the the all new. 3 million launcher Spider-Man. And uh, so at that point, Eric's amazing and my new mutants come out in the same week. And I used to get Eric on the horn 
and he would he we would get our comics on Fridays. Comics came out on Fridays, and by Friday afternoon, we were having this crazy where I'm like, you know, competition. Where I go, okay, Eric, let's match up. How did how did your page one do to my page one? Oh, I beat you on page one, man. My page one is splashier, and then we split. Okay, you 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 took me on page two, but I think I matched you on page three. Like we would do this, and I think to this day, I think Eric's like Liefeld is nuts. I am going to indulge this kid. Maybe he learned like something from it. Like maybe he can go like I can justify that hour of my life somehow. Uh, maybe I was entertained somehow, but I had fun. And, and I felt like, wow, you know, Eric is my competition that week, you know, basically every week for like six months. And so we were, we were very, you know, very competitive. And again, dude, I'm, I'm like, again, I'm going back to the right stuff. And, and, and the, whether it's the, the, the novel that chronicled the space race and the Mercury astronauts or the movie. And then now the Disney plus series, uh, which is a great compliment to, to the movie. Dude, these guys are ruthlessly, ruthlessly competitive. They all were telling each other they were going to be the first in space. They always, Dennis Quaid always says, who's the best pilot you ever met? Me. You know, um, like these astronauts, these, these pilots were ruthlessly uh, competitive with, um, you know, just making, I mean, making the, the cut to be the seven Mercury astronauts out of, you know, 148 to 36 to the final seven. And then within the seven, they were totally, you know, uh, competitive. So I, I mean, I, I, I just, it stirred in me all those kind of, uh, 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 memories and emotions and, and, and look, we were the better for it when you're pushed, you know, good things come of being pushed. And, and I do maintain that as a, a counter to what was happening right before we hit the scene, you know, John Byrne has been uh, openly, uh, he, has, he has identified Frank Miller as a guy who pushed him when he was young. In part of doing my research lately, I, I have all of my old Wizard magazines, and I was trying to read some John Byrne interviews. Long story short, I got to the Legends um, issue, and trust me, we're going to discuss that as, as we come up soon. But Legend was an imprint that was Frank Miller... John Byrne, Mike Mignola, Art Adams, uh, Chadwick, Paul Chadwick, and I'm, I'm sorry, I forget who else. But uh, uh, I think Dave Gibbons, maybe, uh, along with Frank. But the thing is, again, in that interview, John Byrne cites that Frank Miller was like the one young guy that came out, and, and, and that's when Frank landed, John knew he wasn't the young guy anymore. And he could either reject Frank or, or embrace him. These are his own words in this legend, legends issue of Wizard. They all did the cover, the uh, inset wraparound. And, and John goes, so I, you know, I figured if this is the guy that's going to beat me, I'm going to help him beat me. Um, I mean, it really comes off really pompous, but he's always identified Frank as the guy that when Frank showed up, he pushed him. And, and we all have those guys. We all have those guys in my peer group. We had each other. So I'm gonna take okay. that. Okay, but then now, now interestingly enough, and you you bring up the the astronauts, and as well as the as well as the the generation before you, with uh with with Byrne and Frank Miller and 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 so forth. Now, do you think in your peer group would would each 
would each of you guys, did each of you guys think that you guys were the best or would you guys still, or were, were you guys pretty aware of, Hey, I think on any given day, this guy, this guy does this better than, than me, or I do this better than this guy. Or do you think at that point it was, it was an ongoing game of horse, you know, that you guys are always, you know, constantly playing, like there is no end game, um, you know, so to speak. So this is a great, great question. Seriously, Jimmy, thank you for this question alone. Just awesome. This is great. I I love this. This is, um, this is why I love jamming with you. So we, when you go back and you go, well, did, did you acknowledge one of you as, as the best, each of us had a skill set that I identified as the best thing that guy did. Uh, Mark Silvestri was the best figure illustrator. Uh, you know, Mark was the best illustrator. He naturally had amazing gestures, poses, great. Uh, I mean, just drew, drew great figures, bodies, poses, great, beautiful faces. Some of the most, I think we were all biting Mark at some point. Um, I was, uh, I think I had, and I felt like my strength and I was as good as anybody was layouts, page design, action choreography. I knew how to play to all my strengths and to obscure as many weaknesses as possible. Um, and I value that above almost like everything. I mean, comic books is littered with great, with, with guys who can draw other guys under the table and that the industry just kind of look the other way. And I, I kid you not, I kid you not. There are so many really amazingly talented illustrators, but they didn't, uh, they didn't stand out. I, I'll, I'll take you back to a conversation I had with Frank Miller in uh, like 1994. Uh, we finally, you know, sat down, had this lengthy chat chat. And he said, Hey man, you know, when I was competing against burn, Burn had that really pretty line, that really, really pretty line. And whenever John would hand in his pencils, everyone, everyone would just gush over the, the quality of his pencil line and how clean and, 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 and just how pretty he, he, he penciled. He goes, man, I couldn't do that. I couldn't put up with that. Like, like my stuff was ugly in comparison, but, and I'm sitting there, Jimmy going, wow, I never thought Frank's stuff was ugly, but in his own mind, he's like, I can't measure up to John, but I'm not going to try and replicate that. I'm just going to be the best Frank Miller I can be. And I think Frank was by far the superior storyteller, layout artist, but also Frank's figure drawing anatomy was spectacular. I mean, he, he drew from the masters. He had a lot of Gil Kane in him, but um, Todd McFarlane, I think had the most interesting ink line to this day. Whenever I see Todd draw, I am drawn to all the little itty bitty details and, and it's purposeful. He'll tell you it's purposeful. He, um, people always tell me they love when he ever, he inked me and, and whenever he inks anyone else, Todd had a, he has a great finishing line. I think people would say Jim was the most commercial. Um, I, I think Jim was the most commercial of all of us. He could, as we said, siphon off the, the whatever was cool and hip and immediately, you know, merge it with what he wanted to accomplish. And you'd be like, Hey, that thing I liked that that other guy did so well, I'm seeing here. 
And Jim has merged it with this other thing that this guy I like does so well. And Jim was a great siphon, very commercial. Um, I do scoff at anyone who thinks that any of us were in any way uh, better than, than Mark. Trust me, I've seen Mark draw. He also, and, and the funny thing is Mark's pencils had that lush quality like John Byrne when Frank Miller talks about that lush kind of just um, beautiful, beautiful pencil. It's, it's almost like he's chiseling the page with a pencil. And, uh, you know, uh, Wills had, I think, the best muscular anatomy. His muscles, he would do crap with muscles that you'd be like, I didn't know muscles had that indentation. He, he, all of his guys were ridiculously pumped and he could twist the figure into poses like nobody's business. I'll, and then Eric, I think, along with me, excelled at layouts, page design, bold, big, bold moments. Um, Valentino, great storyteller, um, and, and probably put more character into his writing than, than the rest of us did, because obviously, you know, what we molded, what, we, what we're drawing were our own stories. I think Jim had great stories. I've also flipped through Shadowhawk lately, and again, this is speaks to what I'm talking about. Jim's layouts are fantastic. Shadowhawk has some killer sequences, pages. Um, Jim's forte was never finishing. So yeah, the, the finishes were always a little rougher, but when he got a guy like Chance Wolf to give him a, a prettier finish, you know, and again, again, of, of everybody, uh, Jim... And I think Jim and Scott Williams have been working nonstop for the best part, better part of 30 years. So Scott gives Jim by far the best finishes because Scott wields a, a quill and a brush as slick as anybody since Terry Austin. So look, that's my, that's my own personal uh, breakdown, but you know, would I, you know, try and draw as good as I, 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 I was pushed, um, I'm going to tell you that there's a certain rendering pattern that Wills did that I felt like I was very, very early on uh, into imitating, but it was definitely a Wills pattern. And it's kind of, we call it the fade. At Extreme, we call it the fade. And it's a, instead of a shadow, instead of a cast shadow, often it was underneath shoulders or even sometimes underneath noses. Instead of a hard black line or a, a, a thick black shadow, it would, we would encircle the shadow and then do these lines that started out tight and then got more farther apart from them. And if I showed it to you, you would immediately identify it. And everybody needed to do the fade, ink the, ink the fade good. Danny Mickey, Artebert, Dan Panosian, John Sabal, but a lot, Wills, we all got it from Wills. Wills. Wills was the first guy I ever saw do it. He did it better than anybody else. All we could ever do. Stephen Platt, when he got in, I saw him start doing the fade. I know the fade is a haircut to, to the hip-hop community, but to us on the page, this way that the lines were broken up, and it's always a series of horizontal lines, um, either dropping below the shoulder, below a muscle, below a nose. It's called the fade. So that we got some, we got into the weeds here. We got technical, but that that is, we definitely all had different um strengths. I mean, like Eric Larson has always said, like the last guy you want to draw your portrait is Todd. And I, I think I would agree with some of that. I mean, when he did Cable, I felt like, especially in Cannibal, Cannibal, like looked like the kid 
who turns into a donkey in Pinocchio. I mean, uh, every time I like, and obviously I've looked at this stuff uh, recently. The 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 the, the, the you know, uh, uh, help me out, Jimmy. What's the crossover called that Todd and I did? It's called um, sabotage. 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 Okay. Uh, in that, when when uh, Spider Man is fantastic, Juggernaut, they play to all Todd's strengths. Then Todd does Cannonball and Cable, and I every time I look at them, I get a little bit of that hee haw, hee haw. And they definitely have the buck teeth. Look, buck teeth are a real thing. The The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, put a picture of himself as a kid today, and he said he in his own caption, Mister Two Hundred Million Followers on Instagram, said, "There I am with my with my buck teeth." Rocking my buck teeth. Um, no, but so 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 Todd, um, the more creatures Todd drew, the better, which is why I think look at Spawn. It's a masked guy, uh, the clown, a big fat, jowly, creepy, big smiling, ugly dude, and then the violator, which is a monster. So Todd, you know, was never gonna draw Charlie's Angels for you. Okay, that that that's not his, you know, he'd give you I, I, every issue of spider-man he'd give you mary jane either i especially since i just visited this stuff he's like mary jane in a nighty mary jane you know in lingerie for peter or mary jane practically uh dancing on the pole okay um like he and always in stockings he loved to put mary jane in the stockings and the high heels he'd give you one of those shots every issue but todd um is kind of the natural uh, successor of the Steve Ditko creepy brand. So with Todd McFarlane, the creepier the better. He was like a successor to Todd to, to, to Ditko. Like I've said, that he drew really creepy stuff. He played to his strengths, Jimmy. And so I, you know, I, I I always say probably too much, but I felt like he played to his strengths. Whatever disease Jim and I had, and 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 it's funny the the latest issue of Back Issue magazine is interviewing Jim Starlin about working with George Perez on Infinity Gauntlet. And Starlin says, you know, Perez just had this, this, he had this penchant for drawing crowds in team books. He loved it. And I could sense within Jim Lee the same. We like drawing teams. We loved groups of characters. I like drawing panels with six different people positioned cool you know, and in, 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 in their dramatic stances or or different expressions. And Todd and Eric and Valentino, even though Valentino came from Garden of the Galaxy, they didn't like that. They like solo stuff. And I mean, I think, you, I mean, it's interesting. The two Spider-Man guys went on to do solo books and image. Um, and uh, Eric really, I think, was the guy who was like, I don't want to be uh, identified. Like, he was not going to be. Uh, uh, identified or or um, stereotyped by what he did at Marvel. I don't think anybody saw Savage Dragon coming. A green uh, finned hairy cop that woke up in a, in a in a cornfield that doesn't know who he is and then battles this vast array of crazy eccentric weirdo villains in it. And I mean, again, I, I think Eric would do issues that were completely Frank Miller-esque he, he he always had his Gil Kane meets Jack Kirby base because that's at the base. That's who Eric is the most into. It's Kirby and Gil Kane. So it was just you know what we ended up doing was a reflection of what we liked. You know I like team books. I like the variety of a team book. 
Todd would tell me. I mean, he didn't enjoy doing Infinity Inc. So he was really open and like, I'm not into team books. I like the solo stuff. And he likes the dark. And, and you know, uh, he put it all together and spawned to great, tremendous historical success. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. And it's, but it, I mean, it is interesting that, that you mentioned that because um, Mark Silvestri came from doing, you know, X-Men for a large portion of his, of his career, or at least that's what he was known for. And then he did an X-Men type team, you know, with Cyberforce. So, um, you know, and so it's, it's interesting, you know, what people chose when they could do, you know, have the blanks, you know, the blank slate, you know, do you go and do something that's comfortable? Do you do something that you think your fans, you know, might, you know, are are familiar with and, and would respond, you know, it just seems like such a balancing act that, uh, that all of you guys had to choose when you guys, you know, broke away and started doing your image books. Uh, here's here's what look, we're gonna get deeper into this, especially with okay. So so how we transferred what we did at Marvel to what we did with our own books and image. And and here here's my new latest kind of twist on this because when you talk about this, you you really do you think about it and you you formulate it. And so Jimmy, we all had systems that we ran. We ran different systems in the way that. Uh, uh, Billy Bean ran a system that, that put the A's in contention again and again and again. The way Daryl Morey ran a system that put the Rockets in contention. The way Dan Tony, with his seven seconds or less, 12 years ago, 14 years ago, changed everything. And then the Warriors got their system. And then we just watched an NBA, you know, finals with, with a a Laker team that had an in and out system, the likes that they haven't had since they had Kareem magic, Kobe Shaq. And again, it goes obviously outside basketball. Belichick has a system. We, we all have systems. The Rams, my Rams, they have a system. Everybody runs a system and it's, it's what, and that system works for you. And uh, I feel like we just all got into what we knew would benefit our strengths and, and, and minimize our weaknesses. And cause again, you know, I'm young at this time. And at the time I knew like I'm forming the Rob Liefeld of 89, 90, 90, 92. I mean, I'm still forming and um, I'm never sitting still. Jim was still forming the Jim Lee of alpha flight is not the Jim Lee of X-Men, you know, whatsoever, or and even the Punisher in the, in the, in the middle where he really goes Kevin Nolan for a while and, and then comes out and, and starts jamming up all these influences and becomes the Jim Lee X-Men. And, and, and the Jim Lee Batman is not the Jim Lee X-Men. It's great that we all keep, you know, evolving. But it, but it is, but it's also pretty interesting because during that time, it was such a short period of time that each of you, each of you artists made radical changes in that in that short period of time before going to image you yeah. know from you know from your you know first you know pro work or indie work or pro-am work in you know in some cases you know like you know such as todd or 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 eric or, or things like that or your early you know image um marvel or or dc work it just seemed like there's such a you know all you guys it's such a steep 
uh, uh, growth curve or, or, you know, or change in that short period of time, you yeah. know, to, to form. And you guys quickly found your systems. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I mean, I, I really feel like we all are, are we ran different systems and, and I, I do, I, I'm going to tell you, Mark, uh, I think was probably like, well, uh, Cyberforce is is where I want to go with this, and I always felt like Cyberforce, following Wildcats, probably impeded both of them because they seem like X Men. They both had guys with claws, and you can say whatever you want about Youngblood that that wasn't Wolverine-ish claws was not a part of Youngblood, but Cyberforce and Wildcats seem similar, and it's, they're both the X Men guys, and they're doing X Men books. And then in 1996, when Mark does The Darkness, I do really feel like he goes, oh, I'm way better at this. Like, And he became a solo character guy. And he did that. Uh, I, I believe The Darkness is, is among the best work Mark has ever done. It's more focused. The, the, I mean, the illustration, the drawing, the page layouts, it is the strongest of his career up to, up to that point. Um, so he's a guy who really found like, oh, maybe maybe I'm not a team guy. Maybe I'm a maybe I'm a solo guy, and 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 so I mean like you know it, it's everybody finds himself, and and I I do believe that the system he found on the darkness is the system he continues to operate to this day. He found, uh, you know, he he found a way to tell comics that was 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 honed completely to maximize what he wants his system and 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 that's so that's that's a huge evolution i felt that happened with mark mark so we did an early signing for image in the summer of 92 and uh and, and really that that was a crazy summer it, we started to see what was happening on the stands at, at the stores we we then that summer encountered the full wave of image enthusiasm but Mark shows up to Chicago, opens his, no one's seen any pages yet from Cyberforce. And I've said this before, Mark's already a giant guy. He's like seven foot 10, right? I mean, this guy's enormous. And, uh, and he sits down next to me and he goes, hey, uh, he pulls out his Cyberforce and he has me look at him and he goes, hey. And it was almost like he, it, it's almost, so, so it's like Kobe telling Tim Duncan, I practiced your bank shot all summer. Like I can do the, like, that's mine now. Mark goes, uh, Mark, who's already the far superior illustrator, goes, yeah, I've, uh, I'm on to what you're doing with those layouts. I've really, I've really been, been studying your layouts. I'm on to it. And I'm like, I literally felt like a giant gulp. Gulp. Oh, crap. I'm in his sights. He's taking me out. Like, like, like Mark, Mark's, Mark's figuring out, like, the math, you know, behind my pages. And because Mark, if you go back to look at X-Men, even Wolverine, He's still a grid guy. The reason I think Jim really launched so well, because Mark was an outstanding illustrator, Jimmy. He could draw like a mother. Those Marat and I would sit there and go like, like, like let's say that the episode, the issue that the girls go shopping for clothes, you know, Claremont writes an entire like day out at the mall for them. Some of the tiniest one and a half inch gestures of Dazzler and Rogue and Storm are just better than most people's full-page drawings of, of femme fatales, uh, of bombshells. His minimal 
small shots of Colossus punching would make the best posters. Like Mark just, it's phenomenal, but everything was small and on a grid, six panel pages, four panel pages, occasionally double pager. But if Todd and I used to do this thing, like if I can put my finger apart, I'm giving like, these are trade secrets now. This is, this is stuff I swore I'd never tell. So, but I'm, 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 way down, I'm way down the chute. Okay. So, so if I separate my finger about two inches, the one thing I can look at people's work and one of the things that's happening, why their work isn't popping out is everything is two inches on the page that, that the biggest head they draw is two inches. All the figures are two inches too. And right now, if I can open a page, I go that, 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 that the camera never goes in super close and it never pulls way, way back. And there it's, Almost everything is shot from a mid-ground, a middle shot, a medium shot. There are so many of those, and especially right before image, that the, I'll go Ron Friends, I'll go Paul Ryan, um, uh, I'll go Alex Saviak, I'll go, uh, all these guys lived in the medium. They lived in the, everything on the page is two inches. So then we come and bust out the panels. Everything Valiant published was all this way, two inches, two inches, two inches, two inches. It was by design, Shooter wanted it that way. But but when Mark decided, oh, I can draw a big double page. I mean, Rip Claw, I did a cougar in in a young boy number one, jumping out of a, of a copter. It, it's part of a double page spread when the away team is, is attacking in, in like Iraq, Iraq. Mark ripped top, his Rip Claw on pages two and three of uh, of Cyber Force One is is that Cougar a style like that Cougar shot except turned up to eleven double page ten times bigger than I drew it way more action rage and you're like oh crap I remember going oh man Mark is getting like deadly he's like I mean he's it's like it's like he was working with a, a butter knife and now they gave him a katana so you know. Uh, obviously I have nothing, I have nothing but enormous praise for Mark. He is truly the one. And I've talked to Eric Larson and Jim Valentino and Todd. I mean, we all completely are in unison that Mark has the kind of like once in a lifetime illustrative skill set that you would die for. I would, I would kill to like draw like Mark for a couple of days, period. No, that's, I mean, that's, that, that is incredible. Um, I mean, it, I mean, it just again, it just speaks so it speaks volumes to the amount of talent that you know that the Image Seven had. Now, beyond the the Image Seven, when did you decide? Okay, you seem to be the the the, the hello, yeah, yeah. You seem to be the the bucking bronc, you know the you know which you know I'm not even let the bronc let yeah. the bronco buck. That my, you were going my, to do my favorite um, thing that Todd said. Let, let, let the Bronco buck. I love it. Yep. Well, well, right. So you were. It seems like that you have this this creative ADD. Just, I mean, from your New Mutants days, you are going to introduce you know a ton of brand new characters in your X Force days. Brand new characters. You know, you're playing with all the all the toys. Okay, you decide to do okay a team book, but actually two teams. Away team uh, and a home team, which is young blood in a flipbook format. But when did you decide? Okay, you decide on doing Image Comics. That Rob Liefeld is going to do Image Comics. 
Heck with everybody else, Rob Liefeld's career path is going to be doing um, image comics. At what point did you decide going, you know what, I want to have a second book. I want to have my brigade. I want to have my Supreme. I want to have my, you know, you know, building out this this extreme universe. Was that was that always the goal? Was that something that as you were as you were sitting down drawing the pages going, I want to do X, Y and Z in addition to this? How, how did that come about? Because it's like it seems like the the as image was bursting onto that scene in 1992. I mean, Extreme Studios was was a massive part of that from from, you know, from the jump. I mean, Brigade and, and, and things like that were launching alongside of things like Cyberforce and, and things like like Shadowhawk and things like that. No, so that's a great question. And, and look, I'm going to go back into my whole thing about systems, okay? So my system that I developed at Marvel that worked for me was creating all these characters. So so let, let's say, like, you know, there's guys who – there's teams who build to the draft, which, which I, I feel like Golden State can say we – you know, prior to KD, they won championships with just their draft team. You know, they got Draymond in 2012. They got they, the earlier. They got Curry. They got Clay. They got the, the, the pieces that were going to, you know. And when Mark Jackson couldn't make that work, they got Steve Curran. Boom. Wins immediately. The, the system, the pieces were there. The system goes. Um, you know, other big teams like the Lakers, you know, um, over the years, especially in recent years, Boston, they, they, they made trades for big stars. Um, and, and that's how they, they won. I would say the, the, the trade for big stars is making sure you have a Spider-Man or a Wolverine on your bench, not on your bench, on your squad, in your starting lineup. My system, the only thing that was, I knew that worked for me was creating characters and names. And so and, and, and that, and so I just ran that system when I got to image, I'm like, I'm going to, you know, and then you're like, well, everyone's running that system. Well, yeah, you're forced to now, you know, create your own stuff. But I feel, you know, that be, because that worked for me to such a degree. And I, again, man, I just, every time I'm doing this podcast right to my left is my shelf of 45, 50 plus toys, plastic statues based on my designs, names, characters, drawings, all of it. So that is what fuels me. And, 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 and so I just immediately implemented my system uh, to, to, to be creating as many characters and, 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 as, and, and as many new worlds as possible. And I knew that Youngblood could not hold all of it. And I did want to get out of the gates with a, a line of books but here's the most interesting thing, Jimmy, and, and it's great because I would never do an entire podcast on this, but it's an interesting slice of what happens almost immediately within one year's time. Now, for you comic historians, there are not a lot of blood characters, uh, blood names, blood concepts, blood teams in comics prior to Youngblood. But one of the after effects that happened with Youngblood hitting big, selling millions out the gate, characters you've never heard of, uh, is the next summer, if you remember, both Marvel and DC announced that their annuals that summer, all of the annuals, of which 30 each minimum, 
Marvel's going to do 30 annuals. And for the, our listeners, the annual is a once a year giant size special edition. I grew up on them. Some of my favorite stories were in the annuals. They were drawn by Art Adams and Mike Golden. They were drawn by George Perez. I mean, good talent stepped up, delivered some of the best annuals, some of their most resonant, most meaningful stories of my childhood, of my youth. And, and they were an annual thing that was counted on to bring X amount of sales in. And you always generally got them in the summer months. And it, this was true at that time. I think DC did Bloodlines. Is that right? They yeah. announced all of the annuals would have a new character part of the Bloodlines. And the promotion was Bloodlines. And then I'm pretty sure Marvel did New Blood. Um, am I right there? I, you know, I definitely re remember the, the DC comics because they also had trading cards and they had, I mean, they, you know, they went to the mat with that. It's like blood so, ties, bloodlines, new blood. And I'm sitting there going. And blood ties and blood ties was, was the crossover between Avengers after you guys left, after the image, the image guys exodus, there was the, um, you know, there was the X-Men Avengers crossover, you know, blood ties. So, so I have been in the belly of the beast. The thing about the guys at Image Comics, we had been in the belly of the beast. We saw how the machinery worked. We knew how the minds behind these um, companies worked. And so what I'm getting to is suddenly by the announcements that were coming out in early 1993, Jimmy, I'm being hunted. I am absolutely being hunted because the mindset and they'll do this later on, and it will be told straight to my face by Bob Wayne, head of sales at DC Comics. And we'll get to this soon, but here's a, here's a tickle of what's going to come. DC Zero Hour, which was in a month-long movement, every comic got a zero issue. As you know, and as, as people who have been listening to this podcast, they, they tell me what they loved about the 90s. They love, So many of them go, I love the zero issues. The first Zero issue was by Dark Horse Comics. To my memory, it was Predator, Alien, Zero. If, if I, I, I'm almost positive that's the first Zero issue of the modern era that became hot and cool. And wow, a Zero. You, you can double end a number one. You can get a Zero and a number one. And obviously, we did some Zero comics that were very successful. Valiant was doing them. Bob Wayne said to me in his draw, oh, we're going to kill that Zero thing. We're going to stop that dead in its tracks. We see how all you guys are dining out on these, these zero events. We're killing it. We're doing a whole month of zero. When we're done, they ain't going to be special no more. Whoa. I was like, holy shit. Um, you know? And, it seems, you know, and it, seems, it seems that was very, in the 90s, it seems like, like DC marketing was very much scorched earth. Like, man, you know what? We didn't think of it ourselves. You know, we're... You know, we're we're very content to be number two. We hate being number three. We don't want to be, you know, the, you know, we shouldn't be the, you know, we shouldn't be, you know, stuck in the back of the line. So we're going to go scorched earth. They, they, like, yeah. When they, when they, the, the, if they saw something, they could eliminate competitively, competitively from you. It was, yeah, they ran the zone. It's like Shaq said, you know, they put the zone in because of me. Um, you know, the, 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 you couldn't stop the big giant centers. And so the NBA implemented the zone after the 2002 season, 2001 season, one of those, it's right there. That's historical fact. That's not 
me making that up, that is historical fact. And suddenly I always roll my eyes whenever a team runs zone because it's just it'll eventually it'll buy you some time, but it's not going to eventually, you know, again, teams that I adore that I've grown up loving, like the Lakers have had zones thrown at them for the better part of the last 25, you know, plus years. And it just it, 20 years, definitely. And, and it, it doesn't work. Um, it, it, it'll eventually buy you some time. So, so DC, their version of throwing the zone or mitigating you was, was again, this scorched earth possible. Young blood, is is now like it's kind of you know how do you make young blood not special you name everything blood and i already had blood strike out at the time which was connected to brigade because they're both they're the cane and the able battlestone runs brigade cabot runs blood strike they are the cane and able of my universe they're brothers but obviously i had blood wolf uh, i i love the blood titles but again there's not a whole lot of this in the history of comics and suddenly, for the next summer, both both New Blood from Marvel and 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 uh, uh, Bloodlines, and you go, I'm being hunted. Okay, and then you also throw in you also throw in a you know the number you know five company or whatever with uh, Voyager slash Valiant. What what is their new character named? Oh, uh, Bloodshot. So so yeah. So I mean, Jimmy. So so when you ask me like. I did feel like I had to accelerate what I was doing because uh, I, I did feel like I was hunted. And, and, and the thing is, well, if you're doing a new character every month across, no, you're doing, you're doing, you know, maybe five to six annuals every month for the remainder of the, of, of the year or, or running through May, June, July, that's 25, 26, 28, how many new characters Marvel's doing the same, how many new names are going to be there. And, uh, you know, I just felt like I got to get everything out now. I got to get everything out now. There are, and again, there are people I read all the time, the people who look on the outside and go, Oh, these guys, my favorite. And I, and it should be addressed is and the one that I think is the funniest is a way that a guy like John Byrne has always side-eyed the image guys. And I can't believe he actually, you know, forms these words, but he says, you know, those image guys, they got, you know, that's the age that got into comics to get rich. What? Like, I've always been like, what do you mean? You know, there were no rich people in comics when I broke in in 88 and in 89, I knew it, there were guys who I assumed were doing well, but by 1989 and 90, three years in, four years into my career, did, did, was I aware that Mark Silvestri, the one guy on the top of the food chain because X-Men was the darling and had been the darling, you know, by that time for 15 years that he was making some killer royalties as per his silver Porsche and his Malibu beach house. Yes. Then I realized, and Todd would constantly refocus like, this is what, this is what comics can give you. But I broke into comics because I literally, and I believe every single one of my peers would tell me Jim Lee, was going to med school, was on his way to being a doctor. He has talked at great length that his parents were very disappointed that he was going to abandon that path. They had, you know, obviously in Jim, did he go to Harvard? Like it, it's one of those Princeton. I, was say, I, think, I thought it was Princeton, but I, I don't know. So an Ivy League, Jim is super smart and was on his path to having a very successful career, whatever he was going to do within the, 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 the education, the, the, the highest 
you know, learning in the land. And, and he, I, one of the most accomplished guys in terms of intelligence, smarts, education, and he, he just wanted to follow his passion. I only knew how to do comics. I, I, if I wasn't doing comics, I'd be screwing your light bulbs in as your repairman. I'd be the janitor, which they're, they're, that's fine. But what I'm saying is, I, I, you know, I, I, I had no capacity to be a lawyer or a doctor or anything. And I think, you know, most of us would tell you the same thing. It was do or die comics. We just want to tell stories and make a living. And then royalties and sales ticked up while we were doing it. Maybe even we were contributing and helping it, um, you know, or maybe DC putting four different construction paper covers that, that activated all this stuff. That's 1989. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm being published in 87. So the idea that we like John Byrne would have you believe that Rob and Todd sat on the couch and saw some, you know, commercial or advertisement that says you can get rich drawing comics. We're like, Oh, hot damn. That's our ticket. Like, no, you know what though? Oddly enough though, I would think that is probably the generation after you is the first generation that thought that, I mean, you know, they saw, you know, they saw a Levi's commercial, you know, they saw a, you know, they saw some talk show appearances, you know, there was a fan magazine at the time there, you know, that were, that, you know, that acted as an MTV cribs of sorts. So, I mean, you know, so I, I don't think that that could be attributed to, to, you know, the, the image seven, you know, but, but possibly, you know, whoever followed or whoever came to, through the studio system. And, that being the case. And, and, and I just want to comment on that, having been a guy who had 60 people on site at a studio. That may have been, I can't you know, tell you whether that was or not, because uh, I never talked motivations with people. It wasn't, you know, once somebody gets hired, you're just looking to get as much work out of them or develop them as, as best you possibly can. It didn't last. If they got in, I just know because so many guys from my studio went on to do storyboards for commercials, movies, television, because the amount of effort that it took to do that, the, the bar was lower and you could look with the skill set that you had, your basic comic book storytelling skill set puts you so far above everybody else in the storyboard business. And I'm going to tell you, man, I told this story. I was, it was alias. It was season two. I was visiting JJ Abrams and I walked by the storyboard guy. And all the storyboards were a step above stick figure. Like I was a staff artist. He got full benefits, a great, a great, great, great salary. And he basically blocked out what they were doing with stick figures. And, you know, what happened is a lot of these guys realized I'm pouring everything I have on the page and it's not worth it. So what they did is they could take their shorthand version of what they did and maximize it in the entertainment world or the video game world. So it's funny if our generation did draw those people in, they quickly left. Um, no, now, Dave Finch, he stayed there because he loves comics. Dave Finch is a guy who came in, one of the early protégés of Mark Silvestri. And I look back and I go, man, that guy, if I've been doing this, for 34 years, Dave, Dave Finch has been doing it for 28. He's a warrior. He, I, I love his work. I will buy covers that Dave does. Um, you know, Dave, Dave does a pinup in a book. I buy it. I am a Dave Finch fan. 
He's a guy that did not leave, did not exit. He stayed in here for what, because I believe he's passionate. I don't, I, I've never talked money with Dave Finch. Um, and, and, and the other thing, and we'll get to this in, a, in some other time, all the money in comics started going to the writers. And, and I'm going to contract it because, because I know we we're, we're, we're going long here tonight. Uh, uh, the, the thing is, um, you know, when I say that comic books were, but is it fun? Like, <laughs> can I make this fun? Um, man, I do not look at the 2000s as fun at all. I, I do not associate those books with fun. It's when comics tried to be cerebral and, 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 and almost, in my mind, tried to compete directly with filmed cinematic entertainment. But I will say that at where we're now today, 2020, you and I jamming and you and I talk comics all the time. I do see the fun coming back. I see, you know, but can I make this fun as something that is happening more and more and there are more comics that I'm enjoying. So I, I feel like right now, the 90s vibe, I see it in certain comics. I see it in certain creators um, and it's fun. And, and that's the kind of stuff that turns my crank, man. And um, like, again, our whatever systems, as I've called it, that we were running were successful for each of us and uh you know um and you can have layout styles signature layout styles within a signature layout style i feel like i'm a really good page designer layout storyteller that's been my hat that i've always been able to hang on but wills portacio in addition to being this wicked figure artist renderer wills had a way that he stacked panels that i had never seen anybody do and eventually it made it way it's made it made its way into my work and it made its way mostly the guy who was the most influenced by Wilson's style of storytelling was Mark. When you look at that darkness stuff and the later cyber force um, and the and the she side blade, all of the big awesome accomplishments of Mark, he had really modified his storytelling to this what I call this cascading panels. These Wills has no grid, man. That that those panels are just kind of all floating through the page, but he can he can place them in such a way that your eye goes right through them effortlessly. It's you know again, comics has its own language. It's its own form of algebra. But I but for me, this era was fun. The moves, the bold moves, were fun. The stuff that we did was fun. But I'm gonna I'm gonna let you you know throw it out there, baby. What's going on? Okay, well, you know what? Actually, now you know. Speaking to speaking of the fun, I'm gonna I'm gonna go one one more place. Okay, in nineteen, you've mentioned in your in the pod in the in the in the last few uh, episodes that um, you know Todd, Jim, you insert one any of these image the image uh, guys as as the gimmick the gimmick on 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 sales and you know you, I looked at. Um, the, um, the 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 Jackson Miller um, uh, you know Comicron site and it's true man in 1992 I mean these are books without cover enhancements are all the top books of the month they're all the top books you know the top ten of the year and it is you know you know Todd McFarlane Spider Man it is X Force um, one and two it is um, uh, a bunch of issues of X Men without cover enhancements. But I see that actually snuck in 
in the in the year, you know, in the top, you know, top books of the year um, on the outside of that that top 10 is a Robin number two uh, with a which was the first hologram cover in in comics. Uh, at the same time, I see that that was in the top 100 of the year. There was a, you know, the glow in the dark, you know, trend started with with um, Ghost Rider. Um, and I saw somewhere also in the top, uh, the top 100, there was the the uh, Wolverine with the die cut claws, you know, through through the book. Obviously, none of these uh, outsold. You know the you know the, you know the big three of you guys. None of them, you know, you know, hit a hundred or even near a hundred. But when you guys were launching this next year, I'm curious. These these enhancements are popping up. Why didn't you guys? Why didn't you guys either it launch with enhancements or why didn't you guys launch with multiple covers? I mean, it worked for DC with their construction paper. Yes. You know, Batman Legends of the Dark Knight. I mean, to me, it just seems that that would have been the logical step. But instead, you know, you guys all seem to play it straight up. You know, so Jimmy, like I said earlier, like we're on the belly of the beast. We knew how these guys thought. We knew how the marketing guys and we like the marketing guys. I like I mean, the marketing guys at Marvel really embraced us, helped us. But but, uh, you know, I mean, going back to the construction paper, Legend of the Dark Knight, you know, pink, yellow, green, blue. Um, orange, whatever. The, the the thing is, you know, there's no art on that. They didn't commission any art. It literally just came down to collect them all, collect all the colors of the rainbow, so you can have a complete set. There, I mean, I'd, I'd say it's the laziest gimmick comics ever saw, but I'm sure DC would counter with laziest and most profitable. You know, point set match, got it. Um, no, I look back and you, it was you and I were having this t- this discussion. And, you know what? All I can tell you is, like. Yeah, you know, Spider-Man was three different covers, a polybagged version, a silver, you know, I feel like it was a silver foil version of the one art. One piece of art presented three different ways. This is how Todd's Spider-Man broke down. And people wanted them all. Then X-Force is the same comic and five different trading cards. And then Jim's is five connecting covers or six. I don't know how we, there's one that has them all as part of it. Yeah, which came out every single week. So it's like every week you had to be like, okay, I got to complete my set. All right, throw that one on the pile. No enhancements, but multiple covers on all of them. And you're right. Spawn launches with one cover. Youngblood launches with one cover. Wildcats, one. We did not. You proposed to me at a point like, what if we, uh, you know, what if we had, you know, what if there was a Youngblood cover, A cover, B cover, C? Does Youngblood do two million? Do we chase our own records? You know, it's 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 something that never crossed my mind. It wasn't, uh, you know, maybe if we had had a sales department, you know, someone would have come up to us and proposed that. Um, Malibu was literally just a facilitator of what we told them we were doing for that first year. So it is interesting to think of what we left on the table, given that that stuff. I mean, again, it it's taken me 30 some years to realize as I'm looking at a Youngblood Gold second print that that a million selling comic had to go back to press. But also, you know, X-Force number one, five million went back to press with a gold uh, 
cover that I've seen now is lighting up the charts is, is suddenly like people want that gold cover and have realized that gold cover is the least, uh, you know, available of all the X forces. So it's a really weird market, but definitely it's not a, something aggressively that we courted or conceived of. We, again, you go, well, young, but I two covers. No, it's the same. It's a flip cover, the same stable. It's the same stable. Um, you know, so, 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 you mean, you just flip, 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 got the same comic in your hand. Um, no, it's, it's really interesting in looking back to what, how we would have approached it differently and maybe more aggressively. Um, cause that, that numbers game, trust me, man, Marvel and DC, it matters to them. And, and with those gimmicks and enhancements, you know, we, one of the things that, I think gave us strength was that as we were preparing to leave and do our own thing, we saw that those were getting diminishing returns for them. I, I famously say 3 million, 5 million, 8 million, never sell a million again. Okay. That's a weird trajectory, man, but it speaks to passion, which is, I told you, you can't Steve Ballmer can't pay me enough not to make fun of the Clippers. He just can't. He's a billionaire. I'm never going to not like, I'm never going to, like the Clippers. I'm going to always hate him. It's, it's, it's in my blood. It's who I am. He's a billionaire. He can't change my mind with his money. There, you cannot, you know, replace equal passion. And we had passion. That's why the Marvel zombie model was broken, was the passion followed the image guys and followed them without fail. And, and, and John Byrne had gone and done Next Men. And Frank was doing Sin City. Frank was definitely in the parameters of what everyone loved about his stuff. Street level, crime noir, violent. It rang all the Frank Miller bills. Super successful. Those guys were ahead of us by about nine months or a year. But not they didn't get those same numbers. And I've heard everybody hypothesize, oh, well, Youngblood was a reflection of X-Force. Not to me. I, I, where's my archer? You know, where's my giant guy made of rock in X-Force? That, that's weird to me. Spawn and Spider-Man are not similar other than they have full face masks. I always thought Spawn, I literally thought Spawn was Prowler. Todd did a story of Prowler in a Spider-Man annual. And I always loved the Prowler as a kid. And Prowler to me, if I squint my eyes and Spawn, one's purple and gray. But, but, but if you take the line art off of them, they are very similar. The crazy capes. Everyone with a cape, Todd would go nuts on a cape. He did a pinup of Superman, and the cape is nuts. Batman, that's where it started with Todd. These crazy capes, Infinity Inc., anybody with a cape. You give Todd a cape, he is making it a three-mile tapestry blowing in the wind from every direction. It's very sharp and pointy, and it would cut your eye out if it touched you. So that that he did Prowler, and, and, and all those same sensibilities were on Spawn, but I never look at Spawn and Spider-Man and equate them equally. Like, like, but again, Todd was the gimmick. Todd, Jim is the gimmick. Rob is the gimmick. That's why when we aren't associated with these characters, people's interest completely die. I know Todd in, in the recent years has really aligned himself with Spawn again in a way that like when Paul Jenkins and Wolf's Portacio were doing the book, he was not as aligned. Um, or when Brian Haberlin and whoever was doing it, he was not as aligned. Todd has definitely realized when he is standing as close as he possibly can. Maybe it's just covers, you know, but, 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 and, and 
and, and, and running, running, running plot and story that, that people care more about spawn. Um, if Jim were to draw the Wildcats, it would be the greatest that Wildcats would, would, would sell, you know? Um, and sadly, I was planning a giant return to Youngblood when I was informed that I would not be publishing them any further. And, and so, you know, and, and which is why I, I'm not really concerned about Youngblood away from me, because Youngblood has only always been associated with me. Uh, can you imagine someone getting the rights to Savage Dragon and Eric not having anything to do with it anymore? I don't, I don't pick it up. I, I wouldn't have nothing to do with it because they are synonymous with each other. They are synonymous. Um, even though it's been 30 years almost, it's, it's the, the fans of that period powered us to record setting achievements because they associated us with that. So again, when it came to the gimmicks, like the, like the hologram on Robin number two, the, the, the listeners should know that is expensive. That is ex- acetate animation cell covers. Those are expensive. The, 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 the buy-ins on that stuff were, I, I told you, I'll, I'll go into it as we get further down the development of image comics is, uh, and just, and just the nineties. And look, we're going to go away from image here quickly soon coming up as, because DC grabs the mic, man. The, 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 the suddenly the, the, the death of characters and, and the, the start of these momentous deaths and breaking of backs. And, and that is suddenly that becomes DC's calling card and the gimmick that they push forth. They, they get the story gimmick, then they get the poly grab, poly bag. So, I mean, again, then everything by 1992 like someone has pulled the tablecloth off the table and, and, and we're lucky that the plates are still there. Like it is the, the, the tricks are changing everything that was that, 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 that the companies understood as like working was, was put under a microscope and completely like everyone was going back to the lab. But our, like I said, even, even eventually we would change our systems, but our young, Image year one and most of year two are just the image guys, full bore going, this is what I want to do. This is how I see things. And this is what I'm doing going forward. And we are just always going to be fortunate uh, that, that they came with us. And Jimmy, to this day, I can go to a show. And if a guy hands me on what, one, three, brigade, one, two, three, blood strike, darker image, glory, profit. That spark is there, man. Those are special books to them. They hit them at a certain, you know, a certain point in time. I was a young man and, and, and very young customers were buying our stuff. So it's funny to grow up now and encounter the fan encounters me older. I encounter them older, but the passion, you still see it in the eyes, man. You can see it. It's burning. So yeah, crazy again. And, 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 and it was always about, but, but is this fun? But is it fun? Is there candy in the soda pop? And that image comics, we weren't the pimple on the balloon. We were the candy in the soda pop. Okay. You know, you used to just get your caffeinated sugary drink and now a, 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 you know, uh, a jawbreaker, a, a big jawbreaker with gum in the middle was floating to the top. You know, as soon as you were done with your pop, with your pop in, in the Midwest, as they call it, you had a pop. So Jimmy, Anything? We got we got anything else? 
No, you know what is? Uh, I'm sure when I listen to this back on my my commute, I will be thinking twelve more questions, like always. But I mean, I think that's the cool thing about the podcast. It's uh, we're all hanging out, we're talking comics, and that is, uh, you know, that's the best recipe right now. Jimmy, where can people find you online? Uh, I am at uh, Twitter and Instagram at Amazing Comic Con. That's all spelled out. No funky spellings. Amazing Comic Con. Amazing Comic Con. Oh man, I, I can't wait for your shows to hit again, dude. I can't wait for the return of the Amazing Comic Cons 2020. Oh, I have the Comic Con fever. I'm telling you. Yeah, I, 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 I can't wait. Um, so Jimmy at Amazing Comic Con. That's where you can catch him. Facebook, Twitter, all the different platforms. Uh, Instagram. Look, I am at Rob Liefeld on Instagram. Uh, at Rob Liefeld on Twitter. I'm at Robert Liefeld. Please accept no invitations. I got a blue check uh, on both of those names. So they're verified. You are talking to me, not some guy who's going to ask you for money in a DM. Okay. I just set that guy down uh, another one of those recently. So uh, I'm all over uh, uh, online. I love talking with you guys. Thank you for the feedback. Please post great reviews. Um, recommend this. Subscribe it. Get the word of mouth out. We love this. This episode was fantastic. It was exactly the kind of autopsy, or, or as Alan Moore would put it, the anatomy lesson that the 90s at this point needed. Jimmy, thank you for jamming with me. Um, uh, everybody, you know the drill. You're going to stay safe. Um, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna stay out of trouble. And uh, we are going to talk again real soon.